The Source of Truth is an audio recording of Pastor Ronnie Love sharing Christian encouragement and biblical truth. We hope this podcast can help make your path a bit brighter today. Psalms 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Good morning and welcome to Source of Truth podcast. And we're grateful that you've taken the time to join us today as we do examine the source of truth, the Word of God. And uh, there's a potential that I heard this morning, my children were quite excited, at least my youngest is quite excited, about the potential of snow flurries today. And uh, we are getting into winter. Winter's knocking on the door as Christmas is coming around. And uh, it's actually, I know some of you know, I'm not the huge, biggest fan, hugest, I was about to say really bad word, hugest, that makes sense, doesn't it? But uh, I am not the biggest fan of snow, but I am looking forward to it. It'll be fun. And uh, it's nice to see the seasons change. And as we get closer to the Christmas season, we are definitely just looking forward to that and uh, looking forward to all that comes with it. And I hope you are as well. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving time and looking forward to all that comes with the Christmas season. And I'm encourage you um, for the next four weeks in Christmas time, we're going to do a series, a preaching series that we've entitled Fear Less. How to fear less, how to fight God's plan in the midst of, uh, midst of trying times. And we're going to talk this Sunday about the fear of the unknown. And predominantly from the Christmas story, we talk about the day that Mary uh, was told that she was going to have a baby. And you think of all the unknown things that are going to come simply with the fact that she was still a virgin. And there's a lot behind that that we're going to look at. So we're going to look at the great doctrinal aspects and the implication of that part of the Christmas story, as we call it today. And then we'll see simply how that applies to us in how to learn how to fear less in the scenario and the unknown scenarios we find ourselves today. But today we're going to be in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs 24, and uh, I'm going to look at one particular verse, and uh, what I'm going to do uh, here is I want, to, I want us to get the full context, because this is one of those scenarios where you see uh, in Proverbs, not all the time does the verses before and after establish the context of this verse. In this case, it does. The verses prior and the verse after, are all these three verses are all in context, and so I want us to get an understanding of what Solomon was stating, and then I want us to go back and finish by examining a verse that is a very important verse for us in our Christian journey. It's a verse that has been used a lot when it comes to uh, preaching. I've used it frequently, and I think it's an important truth for us to understand in our Christian journey as we walk. So uh, Proverbs chapter 24, uh, we're going to start in verse number 15. Proverbs 24 verse 15, the Bible says, Lay not wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Spoil not his resting place. For a just man falleth seven times and rises up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. Rejoice not when the enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Let's go to verse 18. Lest the Lord see it, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. So this is an interesting context because, and it's just more than once or several times in Proverbs, where God references to the Christian, to his son, but to us as Christians, teaching us what do we do when there are people that have a desire to bring hurt. They, they, they want to hurt us or they are hurting us. David often calls them his enemies. Now, I will say it's unique because in David's case, they were enemies. They were trying to kill him. The word enemy is pretty strong in our day and age. It doesn't have to necessarily be an enemy, but somebody that has brought hurt to us or desires to bring hurt, would we kind of see as an enemy? And, and so... So he starts off in verse 15, he says, Oh, wicked. Now, I like what he says. When you've got somebody who just desires to see a good man fall, 
or desire to see anyone else fall, God describes them in this first verse as wicked. Lay not wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Spoil not his resting place. Have, have you ever met somebody, been around somebody, that their desire is just to see another good person fall? Uh, sometimes um, they want to see him fall because, well, they're successful, they're too big. Here's a, here's a silly, silly way to look at it. It has nothing really to do with this passage, but it's an interesting application. Um, if you get into basketball, um, everybody loves, there's a group of people who just love LeBron James. There's another group of people that just hope LeBron James loses just because he's LeBron James and he always wins. There's no reason, just that. When I grew up with Michael Jordan, I was a Detroit Pistons fan, and we didn't like Michael Jordan because he beat the Pistons. And therefore, we wanted him to lose. We, I didn't know him, didn't really pay attention to him. In football, it's seen of Tom Brady. Some people, because he's been so successful, man, this is great. Some say, man, I just want to see him lose for no reason. He could be the nicest guy to ever play the game of football. Now, that's what I meant reference. That you look at something and say, why would you want to be like that? Let's get to the spiritual realm. Why would there be people whose desire is to see righteous and good people fall? Now, there's, there's obviously an issue with the heart of the person in that situation. And it's more than, well, they've hurt me, they've done this. Well, can I be careful? If someone's really an enemy, God tells us to love our enemies, do good to them who despitefully use you and abuse you. Be very, very careful. We get in this idea where I'm justified because so-and-so hurt me or I think they hurt me. God doesn't give us room. There's nowhere in Scripture where God has given us room to be angry and hurtful at somebody. I say, how dare they do this? And I have a right to be angry because of them. God's told us to forgive 70 times 7. God told us in Matthew 18 to go reconcile. And even if they don't want to reconcile, forgive and forget and move on. These are what God's told us to do. So if we choose to live our life with this hatred and hurt and anger towards somebody, there is nowhere in Scripture that allows that. So first of all, if you find yourself there, get that right. Go to God because it's only going to be a hurt that's going to drive you down. But if, if you have somebody in your life, and I don't know, I can't imagine a lot of us saying we've got people against us, but you may, you know, somebody in your life that is frustrated maybe with the position you hold in Christianity. That, that's not abnormal in our realm that somebody would not want to be around you or would have a problem with you because of your stance for Jesus. Uh, it could be family members, could be co-workers, could be people you know that just struggle with that. So he tells those people, lay not and, and hope against the dwelling of the righteous man. Spoil not his resting place. Strive not to bring grief. In verse 16, For that just man fall may fall seven times and rises up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. He says, listen, that person may fall. And we'll talk about that in a second. But he's going to get back up. It's the wicked person. Because of their desire for mischief, they'll ultimately fall, and it's going to be a great fall. And we'll break that down in a second. I want to take a second more in that verse. He gives, it, he gives though, then a, a command or a warning to those of us who say, man, someone's been against me. You know, man, I hope that person gets hurt. Be careful. In verse 17, rejoice not when thine enemy falleth. And let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth, lest the Lord see it and displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. Again, I, I'm not sitting by thinking a lot of us have enemies, but if someone's hurt us, well, we shouldn't be saying, I hope they get hurt. We know what we should do, pray for healing and reconciliation. Say, man, it's easy to say, no. If you're honestly looking into it, it's not. Because I think at some point all of us have been hurt, betrayed, or whatever term we want to use, by somebody who just honestly did wanted to do it. And, and if you've been there, it's hard. Part of you says, man, I hope they get what's coming to them. And that's our human nature. May we never be like that. May we say, you know, Lord, I hope for reconciliation. That's what Matthew 18 desires. Gain the brother. And uh, do what you can to get right. And if you've done your part, you've got to leave it to God to take care of those details. 
So there's the warning when it comes to relationships, but I want to finish the rest of this looking at verse 16. Uh, Because when I look at verse 16, this is a verse that has been used so rightfully and so necessarily as a great truth in our Christian life. So I want to see it in context and application. So he says in verse 16, a just man falleth seven times and rises up again but the wicked shall fall into mischief. I really just want to work on what happens to the just man. So the first thing I want to do is break down word by word what we're looking at. And he talks about this as a just man. Obviously, the word man, Adam, is the Hebrew word. It simply references the human. All right, now, obviously, um, this word is an italicized. Anytime you see in your Bible an italicized, um, it's true that the, uh, the translators added it, but it's not true that they added to the Scripture. Let me explain why. You're translating from Hebrew. Anybody who knows another language, which I do not, I struggle with our language, but if you speak more than one language and someone says, hey, how do you say this word in your language? It's not always going to be an easy translation. You may have to add a word to give an explanation to that word. And so uh, in, when he translated from Hebrew to Greek, from English or from Greek to English, there were times where it, there was a word, that word wasn't there, but it was understood in that language. And so simply what you could say for a just falleth, and, and the man is understood in the Hebrew, but so a just person, a just man or person will falleth. Now let's look at the idea of just. It does not mean perfect positionally we are in Jesus in salvation, but it means as someone with the desire to do right. Their heart is right with God. They are not perfect, but they're desiring to do right. They desire to walk. They desire to walk in Christ, in Jesus, and grow in Jesus. That is their desire. That is their heart. Just is not just positional in Jesus. It's, it's a heart desire to grow and do right, which means when they're wrong, they acknowledge they're wrong. They confess their sin to God. They get right with people. They desire to follow Matthew 18, and they're not, they're not that person in verse 15 desiring to see someone to hurt. They're the person striving for reconciliation. And so this is a just person. And then it says he falls. Okay, there could be several things to this. He could fall and hurt due to the attacks by enemies in context. Mostly, as most people understand this, this is the person who will fall into sin. He will make a mistake. She will make a mistake. They will make decisions. They will do things where they find themselves or decide themselves into an action of sin. And then it says that person will fall seven times. Now, he's referencing a day, seven times. Now, it's interesting you say, why seven? Well, anybody who understands the number seven in the Word of God is the number of perfection. So there's no mistake that God says that a, des- a person, a man or woman, who desires to do right will, fi- will, will fall into sin and will do it seven times. Now, the falling into sin and doing it seven times the number of perfection, none of that makes the person just. None of that makes that person good. This verse is not referencing, well, you know, he's a good man because he's sin, he's real, he's like everyone else. That's not what that verse is saying. The important part of this verse is not that that just man or woman falls seven times. It's the second half of that phrase, and rises up again. It's the fact that, now what does it take to rise up again? In 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. Uh, well, you know, I, my, my, my past can't keep me down. That's true, but that's not literally, that's not, that's not in itself what this verse is saying. Why can't my past keep me down? Because I've acknowledged my sin, I've gone to God, I've confessed and repented of my sin, and I've turned away from it, and I move on. If I confess my sin, confession means to agree with God that it's wrong. Then I do that. I confess to God what I'm wrong, I did wrong, and I get back up and I keep going. I may fall and struggle with that sin seven times in a day. 
The question is, do I allow that sin to get a hold of me and as Hebrews says, use it as my besetting sin? Or do I get it right with God and I ask God for victory and I work every day for victory and grow in victory in that, which means I get back up and I keep going. I don't let guilt, I don't let Satan, I don't let any of that hold me down. I get back up and I keep going. If you're a young Christian, you understand these little things hold you down. If you're a Christian that's been saved for a large portion of your life, you understand this too. It's the fact that this righteous person is not is righteous position in living everyday life. They struggle with sin like everyone else. But are they willing to grow beyond it? Are they willing to not let sin reign in their mortal bodies? Are they willing to acknowledge it, go to God, get victory, and keep moving and gain victory over that? He says that you do that, then when that person who wants to see you fall, man, I, man, you messed up. Woohoo! That's what they're excited about. Ooh, don't wait, <laughs> because they're going to get back up and keep going. So you're wasting your time is what he's saying. And yes, you're going to find some failure in every godly person because no one is perfect. For all of sin, it comes short of the glory of God, the glory of God, perfection, all of us have. And after salvation, that is still true. Now, our sins have been forgiven. We have a home in heaven because positionally, God has forgiven us, but practically, we still sin. Hence, 1 John 1, 9. Actually, 1 John 1, 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We all do struggle with sin. But how do we respond to it is what this verse is saying. It's important for us in our journey to understand this because sin, number one, is part of our journey. It's a battle, it's something we hate, but it's part of our journey. Number two, sin is not something that should hold us down. We should be able to grow from it. I want to reference another passage when it talks about the idea of falling that I think is so important as a cross-reference in Psalm 37, 23. David said that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he, the Lord, delighteth in his way the steps of a good man. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Why does the failure and the falling not totally throw me out of God's graces or out of what I want to do? Because the Lord upholdeth this man, this person who wants to do right, in his hand. You know, I like to say that means the farthest I can fall is through the palm of God's hand. I'm glad, I'm grateful for that. Someone the other day mentioned, we talked, they were referencing, you know, Christianity and, you know, the first generation, second, third generation, and simply you meet somebody who has been forgiven much, they love much. When we recognize the forgiveness of God in our life, one, our sinful nature and the forgiveness of God, and we fall, and we only fall onto the loving hand of God, it should just help us to have a great love for God and get back up and keep going because God loves us no matter how many times we fall. He loves us in spite of that. And we should keep going and keep going and keep going. Accept his forgiveness and guess what? Forgive yourself. I'm gonna finish with this idea. I've used this several times, but I think in this section we're dealing with, it's an important truth because it was so needed for me and maybe somebody who's watching this or listening to this has not recognized this, heard this. If you've been in my church, you've heard this. But let me state this. Um, this preacher, Ann Hummel, was here years ago and he made a point that has just stuck with me because it's been needed part of my life. Sometimes we fall into sin and we ask God to forgive us. The first time, one nine, we do it biblically, we move, we confess, we move on. But we struggle because our mind reminds us of what we did and why we did it. Satan wants to beat us up over it. So through the day, we struggle with this. So what do we do? We ask God to forgive us. We ask God to forgive us. Now here we have to remember, understandably, the first time we asked God to forgive us, he did. Now, 
how do, then do we move on? Because that guilt and that battle still with us, what do we do? Well, simply, it's an understanding. It's an understanding of the forgiveness of God. And the way Brother Hummel put it, which I thought was phenomenal, was simply this. Because we are going to battle with this, what we do is the first time we ask for forgiveness, we accept the fact that we received it. The second time, we don't go back and say, Lord, please forgive me, because it's more about our emotions. The second time, we go back and say, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness for that act. Thank you for your forgiveness. And what you do is you're reminding yourself about the theology and the truth that God offers forgiveness and promises in 1 John 1, 9. You're practically living and accepting the promises of God that if we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we come and we say, thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. That's where freedom begins, practically in everyday understanding the great theology that comes in Scripture from this. I hope that was a help. I hope that's, I know for me it's a great truth every time I look at this and evaluate these passages. They're such a help to me, and I go to them often as a reminder because Satan really wants us to live in the mire and muck of our sin. And God said, I came to give you life more abundantly, and this is how. Freedom from the overwhelming guilt and power of sin. And we can have that. May that be the truth. May that be the victory that you find today. Go to God, give it to him, and let it go. And, let him, and accept his forgiveness and thank him continually for it. I hope you come back tonight, Wednesday night. If you can make it on property, we start at 7. If not, join us online again as we will have uh, the services live. We will do our Bible study here online, and we hope you can join us. Let me remind you, Sunday, um, Sunday morning, we are adding a service. We're not really sure how it's going to go. We hope um, that, that it'll attract some people. It may not attract anybody, but we're hoping it will. That'll offer some people who say they're a little nervous to attend the 10 o'clock service uh, because we don't require masks the entire service. You say, I'd be more comfortable in a service with more restrictions. Um, Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, we're starting our extreme mitigating, mitigation service where everybody comes. There's going to be minimal amount of people, no more than 50 in the service. Everyone has to wear a mask the entire service, including me when I preach. Uh, we're going to have minimal singing, no children's services, and all of any, any, any suggestion placed up by the CDC, we're going to try and follow in that service above and beyond all the other ones. And so if that makes you more comfortable, I hope you'll join us here on property for the Christmas season as we start our series at 9 o'clock Sunday morning. I love you. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you have a great rest of your day.